Hello and welcome to the first 2018 episode of our Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast, New Year Same Me. I'm Gareth Hanna and with me back early from holidays, just to talk to you all, is Jonathan Bradley. Happy New Year, lads. And live blogger extraordinaire, Adam McKendrick. Wow, I don't think I've ever been called that before, but Happy New Year, everyone. You've yes. been called worse. Yeah, certainly. I know I have. On this podcast. So, Happy New Year to everyone out there. As a special present to us, we're warm and dry in Jordanstown University again this week. And as a special present to you, we've got two games to look back on after our Christmas sabbatical. Maybe the less said, the better about the Comet game. And the first half against Monster as well, Adam. I texted you at half time on Monday evening to say the podcast was going to be fun this week. Well, we couldn't really have foreseen what was just about to happen, could we? Yeah, I didn't reply to you because I was too busy uh, wondering <laughs> if I was... Yeah, well, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and it was actually funny because as your text dropped in, I had literally been saying to the guys next to me, why had we not taken a kick at the post? And I was yeah. pretty irate. Um, but <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there from the start. Ulster don't win that game without that red card to Sam Arnold. And I know we'll probably yeah. go on and discuss the ins and outs of it, but... Uh, for me, that first half performance was just unacceptable. Up front, we were absolutely hammered by what wasn't even Munster's first choice pack. And that's a problem in itself. But the, th- the thing is, it all boils down to that selection. Cal McCall and Rodney Ayew both playing their first games for two months. And you're putting them up against a Munster pack who are known for being great scrummagers, who are known for having a great driving mall. And that's just where it fell apart. The two props couldn't cope with uh, James Cronin and John Ryan. And as a result, we saw (laughs) the fallout of that. Fair play to them in the second half. They did what they had to do. 22 minutes, four tries, bonus point win. Uh, But this is a game that I really do think they were papering over the cracks, to be honest. Especially disappointing. Johnny, after the, the Connacht game, I mean, everybody had talked all Christmas about how a, a reaction was what was needed, and then it, well, it didn't come for an extra 40 minutes at least. This is something that I find really, really bizarre, and like, we'll get to Aaron Dundon later, but speaking to him, he seemed to find it very strange as well. The fact that you can put 80 minutes as bad as they were against Connacht, and then follow that up with, I don't know what you guys thought, but 40 minutes that I genuinely thought were worse than what they managed against <laughs> Connacht. Like, with less excuses because it was a better team that they had out against Monster and they were at home like that first 40 minutes of rugby I haven't seen anything that bad in a very long time because Monster didn't have to be particularly good like Monster needed an effective set piece and to just take advantage of a complete glut of Ulster penalties like at one point the penalty count was 7-2 to two in Monster's favour and I had finished I think 9-12 or something like that but also gave away seven penalties in the first half an hour and that was how Munster got a foothold in the game like Munster managed to be 17-0 up without a line break purely by just mauling their way over or the penalty tire of the scrum and Adam mentioned the two props there and you throw John Dazel into that as well like three three eighths of Ulster's pack hadn't played in two months and there was definitely definitely a large amount of rustiness there and boys that didn't look like they were quite ready and it is obviously a delicate balancing act between how you get guys minutes when they've been out for that long but it seemed like a massive gamble to play three of them at, at the one time and it obviously didn't work and you say about you boys texting at half time I mean I sat there at half time thinking that uh, we were going to have to get ready to write obituaries on this season and <laughs> it was going to be a very long night for all of us because that was the I mean that was the precipice of a real disaster you talk about um, a response if you back up that Connacht game and your response is if the second half had gone with along with the first half of getting beat 30 something nil at home and that's yeah. <laughs> it kind of speaks for itself or you're, it? you're talking about a response to the Connacht game and you're right this, is, this isn't an attack on you how many of that pack actually started in Connacht compared to the one that started at the Kingspan. I, I don't have the squads in front of me, but off the top of my head, I only think Nick Timoney was the only survivor in that pack from the game in Connacht. Well, Greg Jones played 
Greg Jones God. played most nah. of the game in Connaught because uh, because of Sean, Sean Reedy's injury. How can you expect guys who weren't playing in Connaught to have that hunger and that anger for a response? Now, I I get that it's a squad game and that the squad are hurting and whatnot. But for me, even though you're trying to rotate, keep a few guys in. Keep those guys who have the hurt from Connacht and say, go out and prove guys wrong. Go out and say, this is not what we're about. And instead they made wholesale changes and the, the differences just weren't there. And that, that was what the struggle was. And I mean, even, even in the back row, the back row really struggled in that first half as well. And this is where Greg Jones and Nick Timmy are just going on that learning curve. Munster played Tommy O'Donnell and Chris Clota. I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or not, but those two between them absolutely ran the show. They were chasing after every kick. Clota got over the ball time and time again and stole it, and Ulster just couldn't keep up with them. That's where the back row just struggled a little bit. And it's a shame because I thought Greg Jones um, in his carrying was very good. I thought Nick Timoney put in a few great carries as well. But at the breakdown, they were just completely blown away by a more experienced uh, back row. For me, that first half all boils down to selection. And the second half all all comes down to a little bit of a response and then having the extra man. I mean, you mentioned earlier the red card um, and what uh, a difference that played in the game, but it wasn't, I mean, Ulster's victory wasn't all down to that, was it? I mean, even in the build-up to that, Ulster had been putting on a little, a little bit of pressure, so I mean, what, what were, else was it? that They were better in the second half, but they still weren't able to make a break three mm-hmm. until Munster were reduced numbers, I think. Adam talks about the breakdown and I think that's where the numerical advantage really came in because Munster were really flooding the breakdown and committing an awful lot of numbers to it and then as soon as they didn't have 15 men on the pitch anymore they weren't able to do that in the same way like Adam talked about Chris Clota I mean we talked him, talked about him before somebody that we would have liked to see Ulster sign and he's come in and obviously he's been very very good for Munster but he bossed that game early on um, forcing penalties out of Ulster at the breakdown and Ulster just couldn't uh, couldn't get any ball and couldn't slow Monsters ball but as soon as they weren't able to devote the same resources to the breakdown and had to fan out more in defence that was when you saw Ulster start to get a bit of traction in the game so you say that it wasn't all to do with the yellow and red card but in a lot of ways I don't think there's any way they win that game against 15 yeah. men Yeah, it's, it's still 17-0 when Witcherly gets his yellow card. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just the bottom line. You can say what you want about uh, whether John Cooney's disallowed try should have been given, but the, the bottom line is it wasn't given. Ulster is still 17-0 down before uh, or on an even-strength game. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you have to take advantage of the opportunities that are given you and play what's in front of you. It's one of those uh, cliches that you hear every week, but just in terms of how important that match was for the season and fair enough the four tries in the second half maybe that does build confidence but just in terms of what I would take away from that match is just what we talked about earlier the bizarre lack of a response to what happened in Connacht and to be that flat for 40 minutes like I've you'd be going back a long way I think to hear boos like that Mm. um, that they were at half time and obviously not as you say not kicking the points and being nilled at half just before half time obviously contributed to that mm-hmm. but it was just it was a really 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 bad um, bad first half performance that I think Munster contributed an awful lot to how the second half went just in terms of their discipline I mean we mentioned that penalty count like when the penalty count was tipping along in Munster's favour they had that game by the neck and Ulster weren't uh, getting back in there but Munster's discipline just abandoned them in that uh, second half and obviously a few well a good few boys went off injured Billy Holland Tommy O'Donnell um, Niall Scannell Niall Scannell yeah so had an awful lot of leadership in that pack um, went off throughout the game as well which obviously opened the door for Ulster well looking at the positive side of it I mean at the end of the day Ulster scored four second half tries um, and John Cooney was superb watching at home on TV. He just he, he looked brilliant. Yeah, I mean we've said this several times. He has been a revelation for Ulster. He's been by far their best signing this season. 
Um, and again, he was just quick to every breakdown. He was looking around, looking for what the next play was. He was always a few plays uh, ahead of everyone else, which is great to see from your scrum half. Ruben Pinar was in attendance at the game. It's great to see him back, but I'm sure he'll be delighted to see that uh, Ulster aren't missing him too much. Or maybe, maybe he won't be. Maybe <laughs> maybe he'll be wishing they were. But um, no, John Cooney, he, it's a really good thing to see that an Irish qualified guy has made that move and is flourishing from it. Because I have no doubt that Marty Murr and Jordy Murphy were both looking at him and saying well look what regular game time has done for uh, John's game hopefully the same thing can happen if I make the move well I don't know about uh, I don't know about Marty Murphy maybe he did maybe he didn't um, but Jordy Murphy certainly was in contact with Cooney before um, before he made the decision to come mm-hmm. up here they all all three of them actually played at Lansdowne together when they were in the when the, they were back in the Leinster system but I mean for me John Cooney's been the non-Jacob Stockdale player of the year, which is going to have to be what we call the award at the end of the season, stop it being boring. Um, really, really good. But just, um, Adam, just to add to what he said, in terms of his goal kicking, like at 17-17, when the game's tied up, that's yeah. a really difficult conversion that he mm-hmm. nailed to give Ulster what was their first lead of the game. And that, for me, changed the complexion of things a wee bit as well, because if that conversion had a missed and the game's tied, and then Munster actually came back into it, a little bit after that as well um, so that was a really important kick and his kick in all season for me has been very important it's just I find it fascinating because this is a guy who up until two years ago was basically kicking off a cone just for a laugh at the end of Leinster training sessions and he's with Christian Leilefano being in the team an international goal kicker for Australia I mean there's no debate about who Ulster's frontline kicker is at the minute and that's yeah. been as much as how well he's played um, that's a real other added bonus that I don't think anybody would have uh, predicted when he came up here. Yeah. Well, just very quickly um, to finalise the chat on about Monday night on the referee question from the forums: Was the red card justified, or was it just an old-fashioned tackle? Oh, um, personally, for me, I I don't think it was a red card, and this this is where again I think Ulster got a bit lucky on Monday. Like, it's high. He does hit him with force, but at the end of the day, if you're red carding someone for a tackle like that, surely you have to red card everyone for a tackle like that. The only thing I can I can see is that Arnold very much lined up Lele Afano from a long way out, so he, he very much had a lot of time to hit him a bit lower as opposed to hitting him that high. Yeah. But for me, yellow card, penalty Ulster, get on with the game. I think a red card was a little bit too harsh. Uh, no, I think it was a red card, to be honest. Um, oh, here uh, we go. <laughs> Great. Just, if you look at the force in the tackle, um, the amount of control... Excuse the DIY going on behind us in the Jordanstown. I don't know what they're doing here. Taking a hacksaw or something like that. <laughs> uh, just in terms of the force that was used and the amount of control used in the tackle, um, I think it was a red because I think it was dangerous. Um, we know Sam Arnold a little bit um, from when he was here. I, I would never think there was any intention in the tackle I think he was just probably trying to rattle the 10 which is a tactic that's been used forever and ever and ever and was certainly used by Munster um, on Monday night because poor Christian took a bit of a battering throughout the whole game but um, just watching it back like I think the ref was very clear in his explanation um, between him and the TMO of that it was reckless, a reckless use of force, basically, that it could have endangered a player. So just in terms of talking about player welfare, especially um, in the head area, I think it's, it's probably a fair enough red card. I don't think there will be... Uh, I don't think there should be too many complaints in there. Yeah. Well, interesting, and let us know what you think uh, on the comments. But um, we heard from Charles Piatai after the game then. Um, he was uh, really hoping that this could prove to be the pivotal point in Ulster's season. So you can have a little listen to what he thought right here. Although it wasn't pretty out there, I think you know we'll look back at the season and we got we got points from this game. New Year's Day we played in front of our crowd and um, coming from a game that you know we were hurting from. We at the end of the day we, we got the result and uh, we can move forward and build from this. I think being out there on the field, you know, the feeling was that man, it's not happening now, but it's just a matter of time now. And maybe the next next chance, the next moment, we'll we'll, we'll swing our way and then eventually it did and, and we took advantage of that. Just during the week we'd, we'd 
had a big emphasis on on our response um, and how you know whether we make a mistake or we make a, a we have a you know some good phases and um, it's how we respond to the next next play. It's how quickly we can you know pull myself forget a play that I've made a mistake and and focus and try and um, you know do my next job. And I think having that mindset going into this game, there's a lot of moments where we could practice that. And I think in that second half we did it well, and hence uh, we got the result we did. Very quickly then, um, looking back to the Connick game, if we can bear it, um, that we'd all left that pre-Christmas, but um, what? <laughs> um, yeah, that was not worth the seven-hour round trip <laughs> to go <laughs> I away. I forgot about you guys. Um, and the mic that, of Christmas too. <laughs> I know, that, honestly... I, I Ringing I, in Christmas Eve and with that. <laughs> I got back home at three o'clock on Christmas Eve morning, um, I, I just sort of sat down and had to detox what I just watched because that is one of the worst Ulster performances I have ever seen and I cannot believe that in an Interpro after coming off the back of two big wins over Harlequins to keep their European season alive that they could put in such an abject performance it, it's one of the very very few times that Ulster have been beaten in every single aspect of the game and ironically, the very next time was the first half of that Munster game. But Connacht just outplayed them. They were hungrier. They were their pack just completely dominated. Ulster's tackling was so weak. Connacht got their mall going, and Ulster just had no answer to it. In the backs, Bundyaki was the powerful runner that we all know he can be. I mean, if, I, I honestly don't know where it came from. I, I know Ulster haven't been flying this season, but that was just something even below that. And it was it was just such a shame to see. If, if they were beaten and they didn't get anything, anything from the game, you know, that was bad enough. But this, this was just something else, honestly. It, it was so poor. Johnny, a miserable trip. Um, well, I just think that when you talk about what Connacht had to do, I think... The attacking performance from Connacht was very good and then Ulster just couldn't live with it. It wasn't the same on Monday where Ulster just allowed anyone who could execute an effective set piece would have um, would have been on top of Ulster in that first half. I think Connacht did a lot of it, sort of interesting things in attack that Ulster just couldn't live with. But you talk about the inconsistencies in this team and in terms of mall defence, mall defence was something that came up huge in the Harlequins games especially the Harlequins away game because we talked about that at the end of the first half of that Harlequins away game something that was a real turning point in that game and showed a real amount of grit and a real amount of determination but then the mall defence in the week since has just been non-existent it's like you don't know what you're going to get from this team week to week some aspects of their game that are really good then seem like major problems a week later like defence and the amount of points to conceding has been a sort of consistent thing throughout the season but in terms of the scrum um, mall defence sometimes their attack it's like it's very hard to predict where this team's going to fall apart sometimes in their performances and the mall defence in Galway I thought was something that was really a concern and then it was backed up again in the Munster game and then that's compounded if your discipline's not good because you're giving teams obviously if you give away lots of penalties you're giving teams up more and more opportunities to kick to the corner and mull the way over like Munster did twice I thought uh, to be honest I actually thought Darren Cave had a decent game in Connacht um, in comparison to other people and then maybe a bit of a surprise see him dropped for the Munster game and then obviously ended up coming in quite late I think three hours before kickoff or something he was told he was playing and he had a good game against Munster I thought you could see the amount of effort put in by Henderson and you could see especially post-match how stunned those two players were by what happened And then, but that again goes back into the how surprised I was that there wasn't an initial response against Munster Cave came up to talk to us afterwards and he looked like he had that thousand yard long stare just yeah. sort of penetrating the wall of the media centre just didn't look like it you talk about the inconsistency I'm just worried what's being worked on in that whenever you have a mall defence that's so good against Harlequins why is it then bad the next week is it complacency 
I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you the question personally, but I'm just sort of putting out a rhetorical question. I why, why, why are Ulster so good at mall defence one week and then not the next week? Do they think they've got their mall defence down and then they go and focus on something else? I wonder. And then it falls apart. Yeah, I wonder, a few if, weeks down I wonder the line. if that is the case because it's. Um, I don't think. I wouldn't use the word complacency because I don't think this team's done anything to be complacent about in too long for there to be a culture of complacency. Um, like you haven't won anything since no, I'm, 2006 I'm, ta- so I'm like, talking about complacency just in little small areas you know like they they think their mall defence is oh, yeah, fine yeah, yeah. and they get complacent in the term in the fact that they think their mall defence is sorted for the next for the rest of the season but no like, I sorry I get that but what I would think is more likely the thing is because you're coming out of every game and that's what we're saying with the inconsistencies you're coming out of every single game with something where you're like geez, we really need to work on this because uh, we've seen in games the defence has been good and then maybe they go to work on something else and devote a higher proportion of their time and training to that and then all of a sudden it's like right well we can't do what we were able to do two weeks ago anymore so it's there needs to be a sort of base level of what their the application of the various different skill sets are and it's too up and down at the minute because we talked about spinning plates the last time we were doing the podcast and it's that again because you know you go to work on something you pay attention to one thing and then all of a sudden you can't do what you were doing well two weeks ago and you have to just have everything at a similar level and working at everything at a similar mm. level but because you're coming out of every single game with uh, you know what Joe Schmidt would call the work-ons it's difficult because you, you're feeling that you have to pay attention to this thing you have to devote time to this thing and then it's then you see other things slip. I mean, the mall defence is just that's just an area that we're talking about now. But it's happened all season where things that have been good then two weeks later look unrecognisable. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, Ulster were lucky with um, their mall defence because we were talking about this earlier. Like Jay Hanrahan misses seven points off the tee, and Monster actually miss a line out when had them all been the way the mall was going you would have predicted them they would have scored and they would have had the bonus point by half time like it could have been 30 nothing at half time quite easily and then Ulster somehow coming out with the win but I think it is I think it's just it's difficult to know what they need to be focusing on week to week because every week it seems like it's something different like ball retention um, from that monster game was something that just wasn't there they tidied it up massively in the second half, obviously, but you know you would think that would be a focus this week. The breakdown would need to be a focus this week. The mall defence would need to be a focus this week. And then you're wondering, like, are they going to have time to work, to continue to work on the things that at least did go well or have been going well the last sort of month? Well, looking ahead to this weekend, then everything is going to need to be at a similar level and a very high level if they're going to get anything out of this one. Um, the good news, Henderson's back, Stockdale's back, Best's back. Three massive boosts. Is that going to be enough? <laughs> At risk to? of just saying no. <laughs> um, that's what I was going to lead with. Look, going down to the RDS arena is a very, very tough ask, and you don't need to look any further than Ulster for uh, an example of how difficult it is. One win since 99 speaks for itself. And as much as Best's going to come back in, he's going to improve things. Henderson's going to come back in and improve things. Stockdale, look, he will come back and improve things, but the backline wasn't our problem last week. So I'm, I'm going to put him off to the side because he, he will improve things. Like that's, that's not a question. But um, it's really the pack that needs to step up because Leinster are going to be a step up on Munster even. Um, and that's where the big problem comes in because... You look at Jack McGrath and Tag Furlong, who are very likely going to be the starting props. Both of them are steps up on James Cronin and John Ryan. You look at Devin Toner in the second row, very likely with Scott Fardy. They're both a step up on Darren O'Shea and Billy Holland. And then you get to that back row where Leinster have something like eight internationals to choose from. Sean O'Brien's out. I think Dan Levy's going to be out. So you've still got six to choose from, even with those two out. They boast such an unbelievable pack. And unless Ulster produce one of the biggest turnarounds in 
I recent memory, I don't see them getting anything from this game because Munster provided the perfect blueprint for Ulster. If you get that mm. kick chase going and you have, say, Josh van der Fleer and Jordy Murphy going after the ball, you can blow away that back row very easily. And that's where the problem lies for Ulster. They, they need to have a huge step up from the pack. Otherwise, this could be another Connacht, in my opinion. Yeah. Or worse. Or worse. Oh, it could certainly be worse. Like, this is the toughest fixture of the season. This is yeah. a way to a team at the minute. Looks like the best team in Europe. I mean, you look at what they've done um, this Christmas period. Winning the back-to-backs against Exeter. A team that are 10 points clear in the Premiership. Um, let's be them twice home and away. And then moving into the interpose, the changing of their team, like their second string won in Thoman Park on Boxing Day. Then it wasn't a full strength team that beat Connacht either. I know Connacht gave them a good run, but that wasn't a full strength Leicester team either. So that's three different teams in the last three weeks that are starting to make you think that there's an argument that Leicester's second string could win an interprovincial championship at this rate. You know, their depth is amazing, and that's why they're so well suited to this time of year because they can chop and change. And in terms of the execution of what they're doing, it doesn't change. It doesn't seem to alter that much. I mean, you look at somebody like Jordan Larmer coming in and scoring a try in uh, Tillman Park on Boxing Day. Unbelievable. I mean, a better try than the one he got up in uh, up in Belfast a few months ago, which was also a really, really, really good score. And then you compare that to the sort of depth um, in the forward pack of what Ulster produced and like there was a five minute period in that Munster game where Ulster didn't have a single Ulster born forward on the pitch between Kyle McCall going off and Matty Ray coming on none of the forwards had been produced by Ulster and you compare that to the Leinster pack who have 10, 15 on internationals about there and with the exception of Scott Fardy unless I'm forgetting somebody Johnny Murphy technically is Spain yeah, well, he's, uh, he's, he's a product of BlackRock born in Barcelona. No, 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 he's Spain. He's Spain. Um, Catalonia, who probably is. But we'll, uh, we'll, leave, we'll leave that one. Yeah, we'll leave that for a political podcast. Um, Which doesn't exist. No, no. <laughs> but just, I think that's as damning an example of the difference in the depth as you're going to get um, in what Leinster are producing forwards, just this production line, and then Ulster in an Interpro are playing. Now, admittedly, it was only five minutes, um, but didn't have a single forward born in the province on the field against Munster for that short period. And like, it's a big game in terms of the table, slightly less so in what it would have been had the first half on Monday been repeated in the second. But Leinster are already six points ahead, so you know that could be double digits by Saturday. And the other sort of thing with this fixture is Edinburgh played Kings at home on uh, Friday night. So Edinburgh could be on 37 points mm-hmm. by the time this game kicks off. And if you're looking at that being, what, three points ahead, let's assume, of Edinburgh and 10 points behind Leinster and possibly, what, I don't know. 11. 11-12 points behind Scarlet's and you're not in a battle for the top two you're in a battle to finish third and keep Edinburgh behind and bear in mind that this team has to play Edinburgh twice um, twice more this season because they haven't played them yet which they have to go away to Edinburgh as well which is not a different stadium but not a place that they've travelled well to in recent times either so the table could be looking fairly fairly unpleasant um, come Sunday as we know so it could have been a hang of a lot worse if they had five less points that it looked like they were going to get from that monster game this is it. listening to Aaron Dundon earlier and then um, I thought it was quite interesting what he was saying about um, Lancer's attitude to the Interpros and how they treat them sort of on a par with European games and it's almost like a competition within a competition for them that they're so determined to win is that an attitude that Ulster have traditionally displayed as well Traditionally, yes. And I never like talking about mindsets because I I never like assuming people's mindsets, but you you would think over the last two weeks that there there hasn't been that hunger 
or desire that you should have for an injured pro. Now, as I said, I could be way off there and simply yeah. Ulster just didn't go out there and perform. But th- that's the thing with Leinster. Leinster go out every week, no matter who the opposition is, and they look like they want it more than their opponents. Every single week, no matter who they've selected. And then when it comes to the Interpros, that's managed to be stepped up even more, and I have no idea how they do it. And that that's something that has concerned me about Ulster for a long time. Not necessarily in the Interpros, and I will bring it back to the Interpros, but in those games where you go away to the Dragons, and away to... Uh, Cardiff or Connacht or games like that. Sorry, Connacht's an interpro. But where where's the motivation? It looks like Ulster just don't have that same motivation as they have for other games. And I remember asking Les Kiss about this just after he'd started with Ulster, and he said different games have different motivations. I, d- I don't think you should have different motivations for games. I think there are different ways that you get up for games. You know, for an interpro, you shouldn't need any more motivation than you're playing your uh, intercounty rivals or interprovincial rivals. Sorry, but the, the smaller games, you should have that desire of if I play well, I'll play next week. If we get the win, we keep up on the table. Whenever it comes to the interpros, then it should just be a continuation of that momentum. Only you ramp it up a little bit more. Ulster don't usually have that. Ulster are usually coming into these games having to ramp up the momentum themselves when it should be natural just to do that. And that's that's where I think the difference between Leinster and some of the other provinces are. They have it instilled in their guys from day one that we have a standard and whenever it comes to the Interpros, that standard is maintained and then elevated just naturally as it comes. And that's why Leinster are so good, on top of the fact that they're able to rotate, they're able to change their team at will, and there's no drop-off. But mentally, they are a team that just have it spot on. For me, the difference is that Leinster expect to win all six interpros every year. Mm. And I don't think any other province does that. Leinster, the attitude is that they should win every game, and that's... Um, a product of the fact that they are one of, if not the best team in Europe at the minute. But you talk about that attitude that Leinster have that they should have an 100% record in the, these games. You know, Ulster haven't won an Interpro outside of Belfast and Galway since 2014. Uh, they haven't beat Leinster since 2013 away, um, and that's the only victory in 20 odd years. So, you know. In a way, I don't like to compare where Leinster are at now to where Ulster are at now because, you know, you talk about comparing two different things and everyone always says that apples and oranges thing. Well, I mean, again, the only two similarities, you know, it's like apples and oranges are next to each other in the fruit bowl, but there's not much else to go on. And (laughs) Ulster may be next to Leinster geographically, but there's very few other similarities when you look at uh, player base and where they're drawing their player bases from at the minute. Leinster are streets, streets ahead of Ulster. You look at what they've been able to do in Europe at the minute, like, as you said, the two wins against Exeter, a team that are romping the Premiership at the minute, Premiership champions as well. They've beat Montpellier here um, two points. Sorry, he's just just producing orange there out of his pocket. Um, <laughs> Montpellier here two points off top in the top 14 in Glasgow. He are 15 points clear in their conference in the Pro 14 or something like that. Leicester have the toughest pull in Europe and they're one of only two teams. They've won four from four. Like This team's just on a different plane at the minute. And to be honest, I would expect that to uh, be shown again on Saturday. Like. But see, the difference is... I don't think Ulster should be thinking any different to Leinster. I get that Leinster are a much better team than Ulster. I get that Leinster have much better depth. But the fact is, Leinster are a mentally better side because they think they will win six from six. Ulster should be going into these games thinking they will win six from six as well. They might not. They probably won't. And this season they definitely won't because they've already lost one. Most but why they're going to be the best team in the world in five years? So like. <laughs> but this this the is positive my positive mental attitude. Is <laughs> well, this this is my point. If you go in to these games thinking 
we'll try and take two from three or we'll try and win one of three and get two bonus points in the other. You're already admitting defeat. Go in with that positive attitude. You might not win your three games, but at least if you think we are going to win this game, you will hit those rucks harder. You will hit those tackles harder. You'll be fighting tooth and nail for every game. This festive period should be a period where guys are flogging themselves for, what, seven or so weeks in preparation for then having a break just before the Six Nations because this is where your season hinges and if Ulster are going in there thinking we're going to try and take so many wins from so many games I, I don't think you're in the right mental state Well it's a point worth making because you say you don't want to uh, ascribe anybody with a mental state because you can't be in somebody else's head but I mean Aaron Dundon spoke about it there saying basically that he was confused as to why Ulster needed motivation or would need motivation to play against Munster and how it didn't seem like the mindset was right from the start um, so there is definitely something in that and to be honest it's probably been there for a while I mean I, you know we say about KV saying that um, the performance in Connacht wasn't wasn't worthy of the jersey and you could see when Hendy was talking how stung he was by it as well but for coaches to be wondering why the players are coming out in an interpro like that and to use a word like spectator I think carries that's a word that carries a lot of weight um, in sport like to call a player to call some of the players spectators and so at that point you have to start questioning the mindset and the only issue being at the minute is I think if Ulster were at full strength and the mindset was at the perfect pitch 100% I still don't think they'd win this game if Leinster turn up and do what Leinster do so it's a very hard game to be going into when you've got a point to prove which I still think they do notwithstanding the fact that they came back to win the Munster game well, you can have a little listen and see what you guys think yourself of what Aaron Dundon had to say ahead of this weekend's trip to Leinster we, uh, we need a response from these players um, this this one of the keywords we've been you know kind of expressed them in the second half and we're all going into this game because you know we have to go down to the RDS with aggression we've got to want to play we've got to go at them um, we've got to bring that physicality that's been missing in the last you know game and a half um, and, you know they're a class outfit you know you don't know who they're going to play they've got so many available to them um, so you know we've, we've got to turn up down there um, otherwise it's going to be you know, it's going to be a poor, poor, you know, result. You know, against Connor, it was every aspect of the game we lost. You know, and that's that's attitude. That's that's the guys turning up. Um, you know, again in the first half, we probably lost every aspect of the game. You know, and we have to fix. We can't, you know, lose every aspect of the game. You know, we have to we have to turn up. Um, you know, boys boys have got to stand up. You know, we've got to they've got to bring that aggression. They've got to turn up for games. They've got to bring that physicality. You know, um, we've, got, we've got to do better to get our results, you know. On to our listener questions then, we have uh, three rather interesting ones that we've picked out for this week. First of all, this one comes in from Christina O'Shea, and she asks, why is all the focus on Les Kiss rather than anyone else in the coaching team? You we know both opened our minds, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> neither was us. I suppose it's because he's the head honcho, you know, the buck stops with him. And um, whenever... Uh, you talk about the Ulster coaching team he is the one who's supposed to be leading it and I suppose a a lot of people I think have dressed Jono up as the forward saviour who's going to come in and change everything round like he did at Leinster and like he did at Claremont Um, but yes a, a coaching team is only as good as the sum of its parts and you look at Aaron Dundon who is in charge of the scrum after last week he's got questions to answer you look at Dwayne Peel in the backs who I think has actually been doing a decent job given our try scoring record um, and you see some of the moves that we've been doing coming off um, but at the end of the day you know Les is the one who is directing things he's the one who has the final say and calls all the shots so that's that's why everything's being directed at him and as I said at the start, the buck stops with him, I suppose. 
I take the point um, in a way, but I do think the question the question raises the point of I suppose really in terms of the fans' ire of why the focus is so so narrow on Kiss and like obviously the defence has been an issue and that's where we see or that's what we see as Kiss's defined sort of role as well as the director of rugby but I mean Adam sort of mentioned John Obi and painted as a saviour there and it's early days but has the forward pack came on since last year um, not particularly I wouldn't argue there's a few young players the likes of Timoney and Maddie Ray have come in so I mean that's a positive in that regard but the players that were here um, previously haven't really lifted their game I wouldn't think I'm just trying to think if I've forgotten somebody who obviously has been better this season than last season but um, no can't um, we'll, we'll hold that thought for a little minute because that plays neatly into our second listener question um, which was a rather wordy one from BR on the forum so we think the gist of it was that John O'Gibbs had such success with the pack at Claremont and is the reason he's not having similar success with Ulster's pack simply a lack of quality well I mean the Leinster pack um, when Gibbs was there was unbelievable um, that was really Leinster in their heyday and sort of Michael Checker originally and then Jono are a couple of the men credited with giving Leinster that steal that they would have been seen to be missing when Munster were the best team in Ireland um, so yeah there was obviously talent there and Claremont, as much as they've actually struggled since Jono left domestically, if not in Europe, um, have a very talented pack. And in terms of, I think, using the forwards as a method of attacking play, I mean, you look at sort of Fritz Lee and Yato and ball carriers like that, whereas when Ulster are taking the ball on at pace, or when we saw Ulster trying to take the ball on at pace in games like Zebra Away, it just resulted in errors. So you are sort of talking about what would appear to be different skill sets or different levels of skill sets and that maybe it's going to be a longer process than was originally thought because you don't have those same raw materials to work with. I mean, the two boys that are coming up, um, Marty Murr and Jordy Murphy, I think are better than what's here at the minute. I think they'll improve things more than just in terms of depth. I think they'll improve the the starting 15. Um obviously could see it being fit would be a big one I mean just to go back to that sort of point about Les obviously when all said and done whether that be uh, this summer next summer 10 years down the line I think he'll look at his first first few seasons and really rue the fact that he only got however many games out of Marcel five and so he could make a big difference in terms of the talent level that's there but I think that when you're talking about the way that the forwards are coming onto the ball, which I think was what the question mentioned, the same skill sets aren't there in the forwards at the minute. Good, good answer. Um, our third question then um, comes from Liz Fraser, and she says, what were your lows and lures of 2017? We'll be a little bit kinder than that, that Liz. What were your lows then of 2017 and any notable highs? Um... Start, start with the lows uh, no knockout rugby at all this year mm-hmm. was a big low I mean the the bottom line for Ulster is being involved in knockout rugby mm-hmm. at some point yeah. during the season and to not make that was made last season a, a failure just, yeah. just to put it out there I mean that that's what Ulster expect every year and they didn't make it uh, highs getting to go to South Africa was great um, personal high rather than personal that. high okay personal high um, I'll add another high then La Rochelle was pretty good wasn't it Johnny <laughs> yeah, just, to, just to bring someone else in just I suppose in terms of uh, if we're allowed to just pick trips that were good yeah, <laughs> yeah. going to La Rochelle was a high I really enjoyed that um, result wasn't the best but uh, there we are so at least you enjoyed yourself yeah um, but I mean if you're talking about highs in terms of performances like what else do you go for really like Scarlet's game was good mm-hmm. beating Harlequins was good at the end of last season there wasn't really any good performances I mean they uh, put away some understrength teams during the Six Nations but it, in terms of solely 2017 I mean 2017 started with that run of uh, losing to Exeter 
to bring it back to that response word, that Bordeaux game is one of the most bizarre ones I've ever covered. Um, I just remember seeing in terms of how flat a team that said all week they were going to come out to do something was to, like the least a Bordeaux team that was that in that disinterested in that fixture. That was a real low, even though it didn't mean anything. Um, it's got to be a few others. Losing to Connacht was a low. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, the, the, the Connacht game. <laughs> just, just having to <laughs> having to drive back for three and a half hours, wondering what the heck just happened. <laughs> just to just to book in things. Neatly in twenty. We had the low of Bordeaux in January and the low of Connacht in December. But then you do have to say, from some player highs, Jacob Stockdale's rise has been yeah. a massive massive high getting John Cooney in him performing as well as he has is a high and the signings of Marty Murray and Jordy Murphy for next season something to look forward to they were announced in 2017 <laughs> so we're going to count them as highs for yeah, 2017 uh, three boys gone in alliance there as well first time since what 1974 that there have been three Ulster players gone in alliance there um, so that was a high as well Um Shall I, can, can we just leave it without picking a high on the pitch? Is that all right? Yeah, well, yeah. If there are new highs, there are new highs. Um, hopefully this time a next high year. High we'll is the trip to La Rochelle. <laughs> that's yeah. that's Shipped really. 40 points. <laughs> it's a lovely spot. <laughs> Banger with swans. Banger with the swans. On to our club roundup then. Um, I think Adam has a few details of Saturday's matches. Yeah, well, the Ulster Bank League was off this week. But it was the return of the Sony Ulster Rugby Premiership. Um, in Division 1, Banbridge defeated Ballymena 31 12. Defending champion City of Armagh really started on a high with an 82 0 win over City of Derry. That'll probably be their high of the season. Yeah. Um, and Malone picked up a win over Ballina Hinch 15 11 at Gibson Park. That was in Division 1, and then just dropping down into Division 2, Queen's University had a big win on the road 36 7 over Bangor. Belfast Harlequins squeaked by Rainey 18 points to 17, and Oma defeated Dungannon 22 points to 15. Lovely, there you go. We hadn't uh, picked any um, games of the week, of course, because we were off, so we're off the hook this week. Um, but we'll not get off quite so lightly next week then because we're going to put our heads on the block once again. And this week, Balamina against Balnehenge? Or is it the other way around? All the way around. Balamina. Balamina. So what do, we, what do we reckon? I think it's going to be an interesting period for Balnehenge because Johnny McPhillips has come in and after the Connacht game, it would appear has leapfrogged Pete Nelson. And... Um, so Johnny McPhillips has been an important part of what Bonnell Hinch have done this season he's been a, a big figure for them at 10 so they might be without him now for a little while with him playing in the senior team uh, possibility they'll be without Pete Brown um, who they've had for the guts of this season if he's involved uh, this weekend for Ulster which we believe they might be so they could like Bonnell Hinch could be down a few players here but um, it's an important fixture I think for Balamina especially because they obviously you know Hinch are second and then they've got Shannon who are leading the league next week. So if you lose those two games, then you're really um, going to find yourself involved in the relegation battle if the team, the two teams below you get points. So important week for Balamina. It'll be interesting to see if they can take advantage of a hinge team that's going to be hit by Ulster commitments. Well, I was at the Bambridge-Balamina game and... After the Senior Cup final, we said we were really concerned for Balamina, just in terms of how that game had gone. And they were missing several players, so it might be not much of a fair representation. But at the weekend, I didn't see anything from Balamina that suggested they are going to be improving anytime soon, because they pretty much dominated territory in the first half of that game. And yet somehow they went in. I think it was nineteen seven down. It was, it was just really. I, I don't know. Unclinical isn't a word, but the, if it was, would you? They, they had wasteful. They wasteful. had wasteful. <laughs> yeah, they had so much territory. They had possession in the twenty-two, and they just couldn't get over the line. And every time Bambridge went up the other end, they were over the line. They were clinical. They were quick with their. Uh, passing and their presentation and everything just looked a hundred times better whenever it was done by the home team so Ballymena really need some sort of an upturn in their fortunes 
because based on the last few weeks that I've seen from them, it's not looking great. So judging by what you're saying, you're you're going for Balnehinch? I'm firmly going in the Balnehinch camp, even without uh, their Ulster players. Don't. I don't know. I just think it's time we picked an upset, so... Uh... <laughs> You going Bellamy? I'm going to go Bellamy. So we now have a deciding vote over to Gareth. Yes, well, um, using my in-depth knowledge of Ballina Hinch and Ballamina, um, I'm going to go for Ballina Hinch, basically because they've got twice as many points as Ballamina. I mean, as many players as they have missing, really. Like, nah, can't see it. Sorry. And haven't seen sure I did see Palomino actually. I'm doing myself injustice. Yeah, yeah. I have already watched Palomino in the scene, so I'm practically an expert. Um, and I got beat that day, so that doesn't really fill me with any confidence <laughs> either. So, um, so in an expert opinion, a, a lack of <laughs> lack of discipline that cost him that night. But anyway, yes, no, I'm going for Balna Hinch. So sorry. So Balna there we go. We're we yeah, as we're a podcast are going with Balna Hinch. Yes. We should also mention then, of course, that the Danske Bank Ulster Schools Cup gets underway this weekend. Um, there are seven fixtures being played on Saturday morning, and if you would like to know what they are, you can go on to the Danske Bank Schools Cup Twitter page. They're all listed right there. We're not going to go through them all right now because we've already ran over time. As you can hear in the background then, the DIY is over, thank goodness, at Jordanstown. Um, Ulster tidied up things a little bit in their second half, but they're going to have to have things looking very ship-ship if they're to hammer Lanster. Um, so I've been thinking of that all podcast and it wasn't great was you know it? <laughs> in terms of value for money there was an incredible amount of puns in a very short space Good, there. I, mean, I, I was happy with it none, none of them produced a chuckle or anything yeah, just but, in I mean, terms of the, volume the effort was there. You know, yeah. it was there it's like, quantity rather than quality yeah it's like you're the, you're the macro of, uh, of puns here. <laughs> oh, I'll take that as a compliment. I'm not sure it was Matt as one, but thank and you very much. And we've just got our title for this week. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you very much from, uh, for listening. With me have been Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, guys. Adam McAndrew. Here's to a great 2018. <laughs> with, like one a, with one highlight. With one highlight. And I'm Gareth Thomas. Thanks for listening. Bye.